Hi friends, my name is Norm Hill. I'm an affiliate associate professor at the Ballard Center for Social Impact at Brigham Young University and a former mission president in the Ghana Accra West Mission. And I'm delighted to be able to talk about sections three, four, and five of the Doctrine and Covenants. Section three and five go together. They're about Martin Harris and the lost 116-page manuscript. We'll delve into those two sections together. DNC section 10, which is not included in this particular podcast or this version of Come Follow Me, is also about Martin Harris and the 116-page lost manuscript, also known as the Book of Lehi. We're not going to talk much about section 10, mostly about section 3 and 5, and how they relate to Martin Harris and Joseph Smith's reaction as the Lord chastises him for letting the 116-page manuscript go and then getting lost. In addition, we'll also talk about Doctrine and Covenants section 4. It's a great missionary anthem. The prophet's father, Joseph Smith Sr., asked how he could be most effective in serving the Lord, and this revelation was given on behalf of Joseph Smith Sr., and things that he needed to do to qualify for service in the church. They apply broadly to all of us as Latter-day Saints and our service, not only as missionaries, either everyday missionaries or full-time missionaries, but also in our service as teachers, leaders, and ministering brothers and sisters. In each of these chapters, each of these, sorry, sections, I'm going to talk first of all about a little background. It's important to understand context in order to then understand content. So we'll separate those two with an emphasis on first context, background. That's how these verses in particular become meaningful. And then content. What's the message that's applicable for us today? So let's again start with sections 3 and 5, thinking about them together. They were given in response to the Prophet Joseph Smith losing the 116-page manuscript. He had inquired of the Lord several times at Martin Harris's insistence, was reluctant to give the 116-page manuscript, again, also known as the Book of Lehi, to Martin Harris, and committed Martin Harris with a solemn oath that he would only show it to five designated people. Martin Harris agreed to that. He took the manuscripts, took them home. Unfortunately, he did not keep his promise. He showed them to various people. He kept them in a locked drawer, but somehow lost the key, and his wife was aggravated when he jimmied the lock, and this bureau drawer where it was kept was... um, damaged. The the very next day, after he had personally uh, broken the lock in order to show the manuscript to some friends, is when the manuscript pages were lost. Now, while Martin Harris had these manuscript pages, Joseph and Emma were in harmony with Emma delivering their first child. Sadly, The baby lived only one day, and for almost two weeks, 
Following the birth of the child and his death, Emma was very sick. Uh, she had lost a lot of blood. It was a difficult birth. And so the prophet nursed her for this two-week period back to health, all the time not having heard anything from Martin Harris about the 116-page manuscript. He went back to Palmyra, and while visiting his parents, inquired several times after Martin Harris. Eventually, Martin came to the prophet's family home and said he had lost the 116 pages. Lucy Max Smith, the prophet's mother, records that the prophet Joseph buried his face in his hands and said, all is lost, all is lost, knowing that he was responsible for these manuscript pages and that only by importuning the Lord had the Lord said, in essence, it's up to you, go ahead and let Martin take them. And again, as mentioned, they were lost. Uh, historians of the period, as well as looking through newspaper and diaries, have tried to discern what happened to the 116 pages. There are various reports, none of them current at the time, about uh, people taking them. One version has that um, Martin Harris's wife kept them for some years and then burned them. We really don't know what happened to the 116-page manuscript. In section 10, the Lord revealed that they had fallen into the hands of evil and designing men and that the prophet should not retranslate those lost manuscript pages. Now that itself became a point of contention by some of those who accused the prophet of not being able to retranslate the lost manuscript pages, including Martin Harris's wife, who said, hey, if you're a prophet and you have these seer stones and you can translate, surely you can do it again, and apparently needled him for some period of time, trying to get him to um, retranslate those lost manuscript pages, which, of course, he never did. Now, the prophet was enormously distraught, as we could all imagine. Uh, how, think about how we feel when losing anything, certainly anything of value to us. We'll look for it frantically. We'll do whatever we can to try to find it. The prophet Joseph urged Martin Harris to go back after he first confessed that he had lost these 116 pages, to go back home, look for them. Martin Harris said, it's no use doing it. I've torn beds apart. I've looked everywhere. I just don't know where else to look. They're not to be found. The prophet Joseph, uh, at this point in time, lost his ability to translate. The Lord took the Urim and Thummim, from him, and only later returned the Urim and Thummim in order to give him the revelation which is now known as section 3, So, and, and then took the Urim and Thummim back. 
The Urim and Thummim then was only given back to him in order to be able to um, have this revelation be given to to the prophet. Uh, in this uh, case, we see the Lord's um, coaching of the prophet throughout this section as well. And so let's dive in to section three of the Doctrine and Covenants and look at some of the messages that are there with all of this important background that's available to us and better understanding the context. Now let's look at what the message is in Doctrine and Covenants section 3 and related in section 5. In verse 4, the Lord tells the prophet, For although a man may have many revelations and have power to do many mighty works, yet if he boasts in his own strength and sets at not the counsels of God and follows the dictates of his own will, he must fall and incur the vengeance of a just God upon him. Now that's pretty strong language directed to the prophet Joseph. Hey, it doesn't matter what prior things you've done if you boast in your own strength or fail to follow the direction I'm giving you. You're going to, you and others, all of us by extension, incur the wrath of God's justice. In verse 7, we read, For behold, you should not have feared man more than God. Now that's an interesting verse. The prophet never really feared in that sense of being afraid of Martin Harris, but he clearly sought his endorsement and approval. Martin had been very helpful to the prophet. As early as 1824, Joseph Smith Sr. and several of his sons had worked on Martin Harris's farm as day laborers. Martin was very interested in the beginning. Now again, 1824, the prophet doesn't even have the Book of Mormon at this point in time. But Martin is a receptive listener and had eagerly asked Joseph Smith Sr. and his sons, whenever they worked for him, the status of Joseph Smith's revelations that he had received, as well as looking forward, eventually, to the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. Martin Harris had given the prophet money when he needed $50 to be able to sustain his family. And, of course, we know eventually Martin Harris mortgages his farm, $3,000, what would today, in 2021, be about seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars dollars uh, in today's dollars, fairly substantial sum, which he used in order for the translation of the Book of Mormon to occur. Martin eventually defaulted on that loan, so he never got his money back. Using his farm as collateral, he lost his farm in order to be able to support the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. So Martin was clearly supportive throughout the early days of the church, and Joseph wanted to show him as much favor as possible, wanted to show him that, in fact, 
God was behind all of this work and was willing, consequently, to let him take that 116 pages, that book of Lehi. Now, if we skip on over to section 5, which is, again, also about Martin Harris and the messages that go with the loss of the 116 pages uh, of this manuscript, the Lord emphasized to him in section 5 that Martin's uh, ability to be a contributing member of the church was not lost. In verse 11 of section 5, the Lord says this, And in addition to your testimony, the testimony of three of my servants, whom I shall call and ordain, unto whom I will show these things, and they shall go forth with my words that are given through you. These three witnesses, it describes some of what they'll do and suggests that Martin Harris may still have the chance to be one of those witnesses. In verse 28, the Lord revealed, And now, except he humble himself and acknowledge unto me the things that he has done which are wrong, and covenant with me that he will keep my commandments and exercise faith in me, behold, I set, shall behold, I say unto him, he shall have no such views, but I will grant unto him no views of the things which I have spoken unless he repents. So Martin's ability to be able to see uh, and be a witness to the plates is dependent upon his humbling himself and returning again to full fellowship in the church. So we read further in Doctrine and Covenants section 5, verses 23 and 24, And again, and now again, I speak unto you, my servant Joseph, concerning the man that desires the witness. Behold, I say unto him, He exalts himself, and does not humble himself sufficiently before me. But if he will bow down before me, and humble himself in mighty prayer and faith, in the sincerity of his heart, then I will grant unto him a view of the things which he desires to see. And then he shall say unto the people of this generation, Behold, I have seen the things which the Lord hath shown unto Joseph Smith, Jr., and I know of a surety that they are true, for I have seen them, for they have been shown unto me by the power of God and not of man. That's a tremendous promise that Martin Harris is given. And we know from his history that he had a difficult time. Eventually, he and his wife separated. As I mentioned, he lost his farm, which he had used as collateral for the publication of the Book of Mormon. But during the early days of the church, he was a prominent figure. In On April 6, 1830, the day the church was organized, he was baptized. He later served missions in New York and Pennsylvania, he wrote that with his brother in 1832, they baptized more than 100 people in New York and then went on to Pennsylvania and another 82 people were baptized. He wrote in his journal, Many More Believed. He served as a powerful witness and missionary, both inside the church as a way of reminding people of things which the Lord had done and outside the church by testifying that he had seen the plates and been prominent as a scribe 
in translating the Book of Mormon. In 1835, Martin became a member of the first High Council in Kirtland, and despite this appointment, he continued to struggle with what was described in his patriarchal blessing as too much of a focus on fame and fortune. Two years after being appointed to the First High Council, he was uh, removed from that position. He was not disfellowshipped. Brigham Young made it very clear that his fellowship was not a concern, but he felt like he should have retained his position and was, uh, when he was released, was offended. At that point, he chose to disassociate himself from the church. He later said, I never did leave the church, but the church left me. And following this uh, 1837 period, he struggled with both his testimony and later after the prophet's death with associating with various dissenter groups. Um, at age 86, he had remained in Kirtland during this entire period. And eight, uh, as an older man, he did write to Brigham Young, ask if Brigham Young would support him in coming to Utah, said that he didn't plan to stay, but that he would appreciate any help that could be given. Brigham Young was delighted with this request. Brigham Young replied, I want to say that I was never more gratified over any message in my life. Send for him. Yes, even if it were to take the last dollar of my own. Martin did come to Utah. He was well received there, stayed with family members, and told various people the story of his own conversion, his association with the prophet, and the witness that he had as one of the three witnesses to the plates and the veracity of the translation. In his remaining years, he traveled often to small congregations throughout Utah Territory testifying of the gospel and of its veracity. He died in 1875 in Clarkson, Utah, was buried with the Book of Mormon in one hand and a Doctrine and Covenants in the other. Now, Martin Harris, as the, had struggled um, times when he was extremely faithful, serving as a missionary, helping with the translation of the Book of Mormon, mortgaging his farm. At other times, succumbing to his wife's pressure, to the, he said at one point in time, the tavern crowd in his associations pressed him to uh, deny the testimony that he had, which he never did. In section three, there's some real gems, and I would like to turn to that and emphasize a couple of scriptures that are listed here. First, in verse 9, Behold, thou art Joseph, and thou wast chosen to do the work of the Lord, but because of transgression 
If thou art not aware, thou wilt fall. This is remarkable that the prophet Joseph is recording and publishing a revelation where the Lord is chastising him. Surely this is a measure of the man, that he's very willing, very transparent, as we might say today, in acknowledging his own humanity, his own foibles, that he desires to to do the work of the Lord, but as the Lord said here, um, if thou art not aware, thou wilt fall. He needs to to be cognizant of ways in which people can pressure him, using Martin Harris as an example, even for a good purpose, and to rely more upon the Lord than on anyone else. In verse 14 of section 3 we read, And this is the reason that thou hast lost the privilege for a season. Privilege of translation. Sometime between July and September, the prophet received the plates back. He was able to begin translating. We don't know exactly when. At least by September 22nd, the anniversary of when he had originally received the plates from the angel Moroni, he was able to translate, begin translating again in 1827. Uh, he is remorseful throughout this period, but as we know today, the purposes of the Lord are not frustrated. The Lord instructed the prophet Joseph to translate from the book of from the plates of Nephi, the small plates, and we have uh, today uh, the books of Nephi, Jacob, uh, and Omner, all as substitutes for some of the same period as the book of Lehi. Now, let's turn to section four of the Doctrine and Covenants, this great missionary scripture. As I mentioned, the prophet's father, Joseph Smith Sr., desired to know how he could best serve the Lord. And in February of 1829, the prophet inquired of the Lord how his father could be helpful in sharing the good news of the gospel and received this revelation. Section 4 can be understood best by looking at it in two distinct ways. First, what are the virtues or characteristics or traits that are necessary in order to serve well, in order to be qualified for the work of the Lord? The second question is, how did we, how do we develop those characteristics or traits? In essence, we can divide them between what and how. The what are the 12 virtues, characteristics, or traits that are described in section 4. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, diligence, hope, and love. And the second are the methods or the how we develop those. I believe that the Lord is highlighting five distinct ways that we develop those 12 important characteristics. 
I'm going to summarize them first, then I'd like to talk about them in detail. First, the five steps, if you will, the how of developing these important characteristics. First is desire. Second is to thrust or do. Third is to assess, single I. Fourth is to remind, remember. And fifth is to ask. These verses in section four highlight each of those methods for developing those important characteristics. Now, throughout time, going back to Plato, Plato described the moral life and identified virtues that are important for us to develop. Benjamin Franklin, in Poor Richard's Almanac, did the same thing. Franklin developed a list of 11 virtues or characteristics and gave a fairly detailed method for how to develop them breaking them down into daily, weekly goals and focusing on them for a set period of time and then moving on from one to another. That's often cited. However, what is often ignored is that Franklin basically said that method didn't work. His method of breaking them down into manageable daily, weekly goals made it difficult for him to sustain his efforts in absorbing his list of somewhat similar moral virtues. They're not the same list that the Lord describes here in section 4, but there's some crossover virtues. Importantly, Franklin said, you can't simply break these down without looking at their totality, without a holistic look at developing these virtues, which are described here in section four. I'd like to emphasize each of these methods as well as highlight these 12 virtues. First, the important method described in verse three. Therefore, if you have desires to serve God, you're called to the work. Desire seems to be emphasized throughout the scriptures. We read in Alma that if you have a desire to have faith, even a want to want to, let that desire work within you and it will, like a seed, sprout and grow. Sometimes people will say, well, you can't develop a desire. You can't lead a horse to water and make him drink. And I've often said, yeah, I think you can. You can help a horse drink. I've been around horses much of my life. And if you have a salt lick next to a watering trough, a horse is going to lick that salt, be thirsty, and drink. So rather than for those who have a limited desire, simply encouraging them to develop it, perhaps instead if we change some of the circumstances like the equivalent of putting a salt lick next to a watering trough as a basis for helping a horse to drink. Now, how do we do that? How do we go about changing conditions so that we develop desire? There's an adage today, fake it until you make it. And there's an important message there of if you desire to be more 
patient, charitable, humble, then do it even when you feel reluctant to. Fake it until you make it. And the more you practice that virtue, the better you will become at it. That's part of the message of moving on in section 4 to verse 4. To thrust in her sickle. To do. The second step of this description of developing these important attributes is not simply to sit on the sidelines, but to actually do, to jump in. The Lord tells us in the book of Revelations to avoid being neither hot nor cold, that he will spew those who are mealy-mouthed, who are lukewarm, out of his mouth, and rather than being sitting on the sidelines, actually try. Get out and try. Do something that will help you develop these important virtues. The first is desire. The second, to thrust or to do, to make a commitment, to try, to experiment. In Alma, we're also encouraged to experiment with the word in order to be able to improve. And and to some extent, that's what Samuel Smith, the first missionary, did. Samuel Smith was baptized May 25th, 1829. He was actually the third person baptized in the church. He was baptized by Oliver Cowdery. He was present at the organization of the church on April 6, 1830. And shortly thereafter, he began a mission to Menden, New York. He was only gone for three days. He was somewhat discouraged. He was only able to place two copies of the Book of Mormon But those copies of the Book of Mormon were enormously influential. Later, Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball read those copies of the Book of Mormon and, of course, joined the church, along with others. Some several years later, after reading these two copies of the Book of Mormon, which Samuel Smith offered to people who showed some kindness to him, were able to help him during this period when he was traveling without purse or script. Now Samuel felt an impression that he should return home three days out serving his mission and returned back to Palmyra where he found that his father was in difficult circumstances trying to repay debts that he had incurred on his farm. And Samuel was able to work for a period of time with his father, before again serving another mission. Eventually, Samuel served six missions, traveled more than 4,000 miles on foot. It was an example of dedication and commitment. Even to the last days of his own life, he heard of the prophet Joseph and Hiram's incarceration in Carthage jail. He borrowed a horse in order to go help them. He was chased by a mob, had to take refuge several different times in order to avoid capture after the prophet and Hiram were killed. He helped bring their bodies back to Nauvoo. And sadly, he contracted malaria. And shortly after both Joseph and Hiram were martyred, Samuel also died just a few weeks after the martyrdom of the prophet and of Hiram. He passed away as well. So Lucy Mac Smith endured the loss of three sons within a very short period of time. 
Well, Samuel was an example of somebody who thrust in his sickle and who, looking at his own abilities to share the gospel, was committed all the days of his life in sacrificing in order to be able to share the gospel with others. Returning to section 4 of the Doctrine and Covenants, in verses 5 and 6, we have these attributes identified of what it takes in order to be qualified to serve the Lord. And faith, hope, charity, and love, with an eye single to the glory of God, qualify him for the work. Remember faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, and diligence. These 12 attributes are characteristics that each of us must strive for in order to be able to serve the Lord. I often said to missionaries, it's progress that matters, not perfection. Sometimes we can get caught up in thinking we have to do things absolutely perfectly all of the time, when in fact the Lord simply cares about our personal improvement. President Spencer W. Kimball once said, I'd rather be one step away from hell and going in the right direction than one step away from heaven and going in the wrong direction. He emphasized it was progress that mattered, moving in the right direction, not this sense of perfection. And that we do that by helping one another. We're all in this together. The fourth step, we remember or remind one another of how we can improve together. President Kimball often used as an example and cited this in his book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, of the value of symbols. There was a woman he met whose sons and husband were all interested in the sea. Her husband had been a sailor, was gone much of the time. She was trying to influence her sons not to follow in his footsteps, but to do something where they would be around home more often. And President Kimball looked around her house and saw a lot of pictures of sailing vessels, ships, scattered throughout the the house and said, you have so many examples here of something you're trying to avoid. Perhaps you ought to relook at pictures on the walls, models that you have in your home. And then he used it in a positive way to say that each of us should have in our homes pictures of the temple in prominent places. The more we look at it, the more we're drawn to the temple, the more we're reminded of the blessings of the temple. And this emphasis in verse 6 of remember faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, these important reminders can be valuable in our lives. We partake of the sacrament each Sunday to remember the Savior and to remember the covenants that we have made with him as well. Each time we go to sacrament meeting, we do it in association with others. Others help us in those reminders. Sister Virginia Pierce, daughter of President Gordon B. Hinckley, who was second counselor in the Young Women General Presidency, loved to quote Robert Frost, a poem called uh, The Death of the Hired Hand, and this particular phrase, Home is a place where if you go there, they have to take you in. 
I should call it somehow a place you haven't to deserve to be there. This important quote reminds us that we don't have to deserve, we don't have to earn our way into a sacrament meeting. We go because we're there desiring to do what is right, thrusting in our sickle with our might. It's a chance to assess how well we're doing, and then through this weekly sacrament reminder to make commitments to do better. The last characteristic that is mentioned in this section four is that we would ask, ask and you shall receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you, amen. We remind ourselves that the this dispensation began with Joseph Smith reading in James, if any of you lack knowledge, let him ask of God. Ask is fundamental to our relationship to our Heavenly Father. In the book of 1 Nephi, chapter 15, verse 8, Nephi, who after receiving the marvelous revelation of the tree of life, similar to his father, asked his brothers, in verse 8, have ye inquired of the Lord? And their brothers responded, We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. Their belief that they were somehow limited in receiving personal revelation influenced their actions. They failed to ask because they thought the Lord would not listen to them or reveal to them in the same way that he did to Nephi or to their father. Yet the offer of the scripture and the testimony of those of us who are believers in the church is that as we ask, the Lord will open the heavens to us and we'll be able to receive. The challenge of our fast-paced life is to avoid distractions. There are so many of them available to us. There's so many things that can defer or deter our attention that it's easy to lose focus. In fact, one prominent psychologist said the most important skill we can teach our children is how to be indistractable. The opposite of distraction is traction, and the ability to gain traction over these important virtues depends on our willingness to follow these five steps. We cultivate desire by changing our environment. We increase our desire by thrusting our sickle in. We enhance our ability to serve with an eye single to the Lord by assessing how well we're doing. We remind ourselves, not only through the sacrament, but through visual reminders like photos of the temple on our walls of things that matter most and not letting the things which matter least be at their mercy. And fifth, as we ask the Lord for help and ask others around us for their input, we improve on a daily basis. This is not just a matter of a few steps of creating a formula of suddenly transforming ourselves by a few minuscule actions. Instead, it's about changing our heart, about changing our focus, and about being focused completely on doing good in the world. We read in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, 
how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. This focus of the Savior on doing good is an important aspect of his life for us to emulate. It's one thing to be well-versed in the scriptures. It's another to apply those scriptures in our daily lives through generous acts of doing good. Section 4 outlines how we develop important virtues that enable us to inherit eternal life. First, to desire, and have that desire work within us by changing situations where necessary. Second, to thrust in our sickle, to go about doing good, to experience God through our daily actions. Third, to assess, to take a step back, as President Nelson said in a 2018 broadcast to young adults and later in the women's broadcast, to take a step back, take a time out. Let the distractions of the world pass by so that we can determine how well we're doing. When the astronauts go to the moon, they do something called a mid-course maneuver. They get about halfway between the Earth and the moon and count what it would take at this point of no return to continue on with their journey. Likewise, we can take a mid-course maneuver. We can take a step back, as President Nelson has encouraged us. We can assess that our eye is single to the glory of God. When I was called as a bishop, I asked our temple president in Houston for advice. His advice was, beware of the 100 percenter. And at first I was taken aback. What do you mean, don't we want everyone to perform well in their callings? And he said, of course we do, but recognize that everybody falls short. The person who was solely focused on reporting 100% then of his home teaching is likely looking for others to acknowledge how well he is doing rather than doing it for the right reasons. Taking a step back, assessing our desires, and then thrusting in our sickle again as necessary. Fourth, recognizing that reminders are helpful, that sometimes those can be visual, and sometimes perhaps they're more virtual. Fifth, importantly, recognizing that as we ask, we will receive. That as the Savior said, what father, if a son asked him for a fish, would give a serpent or a stone? Surely, if a son asks for nourishment, a father is going to bless him with bread. And likewise, our Heavenly Father has given us the bread of life, the Savior of the world, who went about doing good, and in doing so, just as missionaries and as we who serve in the church, as we do so, can develop these important attributes of faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, diligence, hope, and love. By reading about these virtues, by desiring them, and then by thrusting in our sickle and 
doing things like the Savior, going about doing good, that enhance not only our service, but enhance our own ability to draw closer to our Heavenly Father, is my hope and prayer for all of us. May God bless us all as we consecrate our efforts and seek to do good in the world, is my hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.